all come together to help people find their way back to God. Well, this morning, we're starting a brand new series, a series that I'm really excited about, a series that we're simply calling I Heart. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about certain loves that I believe are critical to following Jesus Christ. Uh, loves like loving your church and loving your neighbor, loving your community, uh, loving the world that we live in. And, and much of what we talk about over these next few weeks has a lot to do with our mission as a church. Uh, our mission as a church, helping people find their way back to God. And, and so we're going to talk about not only what that means for us as a church, but I want you to think about what that means for you as a person. Uh, what it means for you to embrace that mission of helping people find their way back to God. And uh, that if, if I have experienced the love and grace of Jesus Christ, if you've experienced that love and grace and you've understood that forgiveness and what that means for your life, then why wouldn't you, why wouldn't I be motivated to go out and to share that good news with everyone that we could possibly meet and come in contact with? People like your neighbor, uh, people like uh, maybe a sister who is far from God or a friend from high school or with a coworker. Now, maybe the thought of you sharing your faith or your life with someone is absolutely terrifying. Anybody there? Anybody kind of have that feeling? I'll raise my hand on that. You don't have to be afraid. It, it even frightens me a little bit. But, but I want you to know that it's okay to feel that way. And so next week, and especially uh, in two weeks, we're going to try and provide some real practical tips, uh, some practical insight on, on what, uh, to help you and what it means to share your faith and your life and maybe your particular context. Now, why is it important? Because again, if I love Jesus, if I truly understand what it is that he has done for me, the life and the forgiveness that I now have, why in the world would I keep that a secret? I mean, why wouldn't that be the, the, the topic, the message that is always on my heart, always on my mind, coming out of my mouth? I mean, why wouldn't I want to share that message with everyone around me? Now, in addition to providing some real practical matters, uh, our outreach team, our outreach and missions team here at Genesis has done a really amazing job, an awesome job of putting together uh, some great serving opportunities for you and your family uh, to show the love of Christ over the next month. And we're going to talk about some of those today, and you'll find all of those listed in your worship program this morning. But today we're talking about I Heart or I Love My Church. I just simply titled it this, I heart, I love my church. Now, um, I have a feeling that you could guess what I'm going to say next. Um, I love my church. I, I absolutely love this church. I, I love Genesis Church uh, for so many reasons that I could share with you today. But I thought it was interesting to point out that there are things that I love about Genesis for what we, we don't do. Uh, the, the things that we don't do as a church, like the whole catchy sign thing out in front of the building, you know, the catchy message that some churches do. I, I thought I'd show you a couple examples of those. You, you see them all the time as you drive around. Here's one, free trip to heaven, details inside. You know, that, that's all you got. Just, just stop on inside. The next one, um, sunscreen prevents sin burn. Yeah, isn't that good? You know, that, that, that'll get them. Okay, honk if you love Jesus, text while driving if you want to meet him. Good message for everyone. There's no AC in hell either, so I assume that they don't have it at their church. But uh, uh, do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. Yeah, we don't feel that way over here, right? We don't. You, know, you guys don't feel that way. But I realize churches have their reasons for doing things. But again, I'm just kind of glad that we're not into the whole catchy sign thing. But seriously, what do I love about Genesis Church? Um, I love the people of this church. I, I can't think of a, a greater group of people that I would choose, that I would want to do life with than the people of this church. Um, I love that we meet in a warehouse. I'll tell you, I would have never picked it. I would have never imagined it or dreamed it. I'm thankful that many of you did. I love it. I, I think it's a big part of who we are. I, I love that our passion and even our building communicates this message that you can come here as you are. 
Uh, you don't have to try and be anyone that you're not. You don't have to hide anything. Just come as you are. Um, I love our staff. And I think that we have a really amazing team here at Genesis Church, and they love you, and they love this church, and they love giving their lives uh, to the work that is being done here. I love our leaders and our volunteers, and I am humbled over and over again at the amount of time and gifts that you give to the ministry here. I love the stories of life change. I I love our mission, helping people find their way back to God, and that we don't have it figured out, and that we still have a long way to go, but I love the fact that there's almost a sense of urgency in the culture of this place that we've got work to do and we only have so much time. And there's so many other things that I could tell you that I love about this church today. I could tell you that we have more people celebrating with us on Sundays than ever before, and I love that. I could tell you that I love that we have more people connecting in things like groups and in our student ministry and in our Gen Kids ministry than ever before. I could tell you that I love that more than ever before we have people contributing with their time and their talents and their financial resources working to change this world, and I love that. I love the fact that 13 people from our middle school ministry recently spent a week at Cranks Creek, Kentucky, serving others in need. I love that. I could tell you that I love the fact that 29 people are going to get baptized and maybe a few more at Forest Park this afternoon. And they're going to stand before everyone else and say, my life has changed forever. I've been made alive in Jesus Christ. And I love that. I mean, there are so many things that I could tell you what I love about Genesis Church. But some of you had some things to share too. Watch this video. I love Genesis Church. I've always said that even if I was on staff here, this is where I'd want to come to worship and be a part of this community. Um, It's hard to describe, but there's just something about the way that we're focused, the way that we're welcoming, uh, just the attitude that people have. They want to be a part of this, and, and so do I. I love Genesis Church. I love the fact that our focus is to be in the homes, to be in the neighborhoods, to be at your business, to be at the mall, to be at the schools, Be out there where people are and take the love of Christ to them. I love this church because there's a spirit of authenticity here. I feel like you don't have to look a certain way or act a certain way or pretend like you're something you're not. You don't have to pretend like you have it all together. Um, And I also love that this church is not just about this church. It's about Jesus and it's about uh, finding His will for our lives. And it's about sending. It's about being the hands and feet of Christ to the world. I like Genesis because the people and the leaders are so real, um, and we get free bagels. <laughs> I love Genesis Church because of the people, and it feels like home. I love Genesis Church because of its commitment to preaching the gospel. To me, Genesis is just a place where I can be myself. Everybody here, I, can, I feel open to talk to, and I just love it. The thing I like about Genesis is um, how the mission here is people, and it's uh spoken through love and truth. Love Jen Kids. Love what he gets out of Jen Kids. Um, just love the people. Love Pastor Paul. Great. Josh. Um, just love serving in Jen Kids and being part of um, the great Genesis Church. I love Genesis Church because I feel like God has provided me with my family here. I have a family, but they're far away, and I feel like God has provided me with my family here. Amen. Yes. Uh, what I love about Genesis is just the people. Um, you constantly, this church is growing. It's meeting the new people. I like Genesis Church because it has a drinking fountain. <laughs> like it really feels like a church home, and it's uh, you know you, n- you never feel out of place or uh, like you don't belong. You are my one.
love about Genesis is that Genesis Church literally helped my family and myself find God. I love Genesis Church because I feel like we're all like one big family and we all can come together and just worship God and just be one big family. I like Genesis Church because of all of the friendly people. I love Genesis Church because I love the people and I love the relevance of the messages and how it really um, teaches me and reminds me and helps me grow to be a true Christ follower. The things I love about Genesis is it not just forces me, but it gives me the avenue to be what I read Scripture says I need to be. That's the part I like. Hey, great words, and uh, I know there are many more. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them for a few minutes. I want you to take them and turn to the Old Testament. Uh, go to the book of 2 Kings chapter 7. And so you want to stay towards the front half of the Old Testament, but it's more towards the middle, if that helps you out at all, and, and otherwise, good luck in finding it. But Second Kings, uh, in the Old Testament, and I've, I don't, I've been following our Bible reading plan since January now, and recently uh, finished up Second Kings the other day, and a couple of weeks ago, came across a story that I want to look at uh, with you this morning in Second Kings 7, but, but I want to give you a little background first. The Israelites were God's chosen people. And if you spend any time in the Old Testament, reading the Old Testament through, you'll find that for yourself, that all of the focus is on the nation, is on the people of Israel. And in 2 Kings chapter 7, the Israelites, the people of Israel, are being attacked, they're being invaded from the outside. And their enemies, uh, the Arameans in this particular case, had gathered outside of the city and were ready to launch a devastating attack on Israel. The outlook you know, for Israel here wasn't really good. They were, they were outmatched militarily. Uh, the food had run out and people were gathered all inside of this fortified city and they were literally starving to death. Now, verse three tells us that there were four men, four men with leprosy camped outside of the entrance to this particular city. And as you might know, uh, not only was leprosy a horrible disease, but people with leprosy were labeled as social outcasts. And so there's no room for them in the city. They're not welcome. And that's why they're here on the outside. And so as you can imagine, uh, these guys are in a really bad position because not only are they dealing with the devastating effects of leprosy, but they're camped outside of the city walls where they could be taken, attacked at any moment, and there's no food at all. And if they stay here much longer, again, they're going to be killed by the Arameans. And if they try and force their way back into the city, even if they make it, well, there's no food inside. And so they're going to starve to death like everyone else. And finally, they reason that their only hope is to go over and to surrender in the Aramean camp and hope to at least be taken as prisoner rather than killed. And at least as prisoners, they might have a chance of getting some food. So let's pick it up in 2 Kings chapter 7, beginning in verse 5. Here's what it says. At dusk, They got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. And so they got up, these Arameans, they got up, and they fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys, and they left their camp as it was and ran for their lives. And, and, and so what you find here is these four guys, they're on their way to surrender, but when they get to the camp, they discover that there's no one there. The Arameans had left. They, they were gone. They had deserted their camp and left everything behind. They left their tents. They left their valuables. They left food. I mean, God had scared off uh, these particular men, these invaders in the middle of the night and, and the Israelites starving in the city. They have no clue what's going on. But now these four men, these four lepers, 
they do. So picture the scene, if you would. I mean, here's four guys. They're sick. All right, they have leprosy. They don't have a lot going for them. They're starving to death. And, and now they come across more food than they could ever possibly know what to do with it. I don't know about you, but I can try and imagine their excitement. I mean, just try and picture, if, if you would, I mean, just stuffing their faces as much as they can with their food. I mean, you know what it's like if you've gone a long day and you haven't eaten and you show up to a buffet like The Journey or something, you know, and Fishers, have you ever been to The Journey before? And you, you can't get enough plates. You can't get enough food on your plate. And that's kind of like these guys. Verse 8. The men who had leprosy reached, reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. Remember, this is the deserted camp. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. And then they returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. And so again, there's all this feasting and they're packing up all of these things, all of these valuables to make their own. And then verse 9, then they said to each other, we're not doing right. Now just stop there for a second if you would. I mean, can we just acknowledge that every party has a pooper, right? I mean, that's what your mom told you growing up, that every party has a pooper. I mean, here they are enjoying all these things. But after a while, someone from the group speaks up and says, hey, uh, what we're doing here is not right. Probably the firstborn uh, of the group or something. But but they think about that for a second. You know, why isn't it right? I, I mean, why can't they take these things for themselves? It's not like they're stealing. These are the spoils of war, why wasn't it right? But look at the, verse, the, the, the second half of verse 9 again. It says, then they said to each other, we're not doing right. But here's this, and here's kind of the key phrase for this morning. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. I mean, again, these guys hit the jackpot. They've got more than they can ever handle. This is a day of good news. Why are we keeping it to ourselves? You know, it kind of reminds me of one of those TV shows right now about hoarding. Uh, anybody ever seen the show? I think there's a show out there right now called Hoarders. Uh, I think there's another one out there called Hoarding Buried Alive. You know, same story, uh, same situation. You get a family, you get a group of people, and, and they just keep everything. They collect and they keep, and they never throw anything away. And so all the video of their home and things are piled up, and they can barely move around. They, they, they just hold on to everything. I think there's even a show on Animal Planet called Animal Hoarders. You know, something like, you know, one family, 50 cats living in the house. I mean, isn't, isn't one cat per house a little bit too much to ask for anyways? But, but, but some people go, you know, go to the extreme. And, and so these guys, they, they've got these spoils for themselves. And someone speaks up and says, what we are doing is wrong. This is a day of good news. And we're keeping it to ourselves. You know, I have to tell you that this story got me thinking about how sometimes I can be in so in love with God. And so in love with, with this church and everything that he's doing in my life and in my family and everything that he's blessed me with. And, and yet I can be like a hoarder to where it's just so about me and all the focus is on me and what I'm getting. And as long as I have it, that's all that really matters. Let me ask you this question. I mean, in the privacy of your own heart right now, just ask yourself this question. How many times over the course of the past month or couple months have you told somebody about your church? You talk to them about the amazing work that God is doing in your church, maybe someone who's far from God. Or how many times over the last month or two have you, you know, shared with a coworker or a neighbor or a friend some of the amazing things that God is doing in your life and, and how you might recognize that it's absent in theirs and, and what maybe God could do for them and how God could change them? You know, because here's what I know about me, whether I like to admit this or not. I, I can be like one of those lepers in the Aramean camp. I mean, I'm so thankful for what I have. I'm enjoying it all for myself. Why take the time to think about somebody else? 
You know, and as I mentioned a few minutes ago, our mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God. I mean, when was the last time that you asked yourself or evaluated, you know, is that my mission? That if I'm going to call this church my church and embrace this mission, helping people find their way back to God, am I demonstrating that mission and that passion in my own life, making it my own? I mean, are you living with a sense of urgency uh, to share with your brother, to share with the neighbor, you know, someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior? I mean, it's like the verse says, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is a day of good news, but the question is, are you keeping it to yourself? I mean, if you truly understand the good news and the power, the radical, life-changing power of the message of Jesus Christ, and you've embraced it in your life, are you sharing it with others? Or are you keeping it to yourself? You know, I think it's easy for Christ followers to fall into one of three categories. You, me, all of us into one of three categories, one of three groups of people when it, when it comes to faith and when it comes to sharing our faith or, or this church. You know, some of us are what I heard one pastor call, um, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, have it and hoard it types. You know, when it comes to this message of Jesus Christ, that we have it and we hoard it, we embrace it uh, as closely as we can. You know, God is something great in your life. You're part of this community here at Genesis, you know, where you have a front row seat right now to some of the amazing things that God is doing here. And you might even say, you know, I love my church. But when it comes to, to taking the time to reach out to a neighbor or a coworker, I mean, how many of us can really say that we take that seriously, that it's, a, it's just an everyday part, a natural flow of who we are, I mean, you wouldn't call yourself a hoarder, but, but when it comes to sharing your faith with others, well, you might just say, I've got my reasons. I've got my reasons. I, I want you to know that I need to hear this for myself. And even as I was praying this week and, and really for the past weeks and months, I, I've really felt convicted in this area as I ask myself, you know, Paul, who have you been telling about Jesus or, or telling about Genesis Church? I mean, who in your life right now is far from God that you can say, you know, I'm praying for that person and I'm, I'm spending time with that person and I'm sharing my life with that person. I mean, because I can stand up here and I can give it my all on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week, I mean, you know what that's like. It's a different story sometimes. And, and it's not just people who are far from God either. You know, it's people uh, who, who need a church like this, who need a, a community like this. I mean, I think our world is full of lonely people. I mean, our neighborhoods are, are full of lonely people right now. And, and we weren't made to do life alone. We were made for relationships and for one another. I mean, who in your life right now could really benefit from the, the support and encouragement of a community like this, a community like Genesis? And if you've been coming here for a while, right, uh, and you've maybe are, are fairly well connected, you know, to Genesis Church, I think it's just easy to forget about what it was like to not have something like this, to not have a community like this. But this is a day of good news. What does that mean for you? I mean, the, the good news is this. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said it like this. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I mean, what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus saves. Some churches write it on their sign. Jesus saves. You know, his grace is great enough. It, it, his, his love is big enough. Uh, to, to, uh, to, for any problem. I mean, his gift is eternal life. I mean, Jesus' words remind us that when a person finds their way back to God, that they have literally crossed over from death to life. We, we cross over from death to life. Our eternal destination is no longer hell, but our eternal destination is in heaven. And as 2 Corinthians says, we become a new creation. We are this brand new work. We are now God's instruments, God's vessels ready to be used by God, whether that be at work, whether that be at school or in your neighborhood, you know, wherever you go. 
death to life. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have passed from death to life. And and it may not always feel like that. But because Jesus died for you, you're no longer dead. You're alive. And we've got a whole bunch of people that are going to celebrate that today as they get baptized, as they wear shirts like these and just say, I'm alive in Jesus Christ and I will never, ever, ever, ever be the same again. I have been changed forever and we're going to celebrate that. I mean, Genesis, we can't lose sight of the good news. We can't let it ever go, go dead on us. I mean, God has big plans for you in this church and his plan for you and for this church isn't to simply make this a neat little community to live in. God wants to radically change this community. He wants to flip this community upside down with people who are focused on him. I mean, do you have any idea how many people in your life around you are far from God? Do you have any clue? Do you realize that God has you on your street and in your office for a reason? It wasn't that it just happened to be the price, the right price range for your home or the perfect apartment convenient to where you are working, but God has you there for a reason and he's ready to use you. And if you're like me, you've got to come back to this message, this reminder once in a while because it's so easy to grow complacent. It's easy to have these have it and hoard it type attitudes. I think there's another group of people that we fall into maybe time and time again. Maybe some of you are right there right now, but these need it and know it types. You know, you might be there and might not even realize it. It's what you might call need it and know it. And, and this is some of where, where some of you are right now. There, there's a book out, a great book by one of my favorite pastors, a guy by the name of Craig Rochelle, uh, and the book is simply titled It. And the subtitle is How Churches and Leaders Can Get It and Keep It. You know, that some people have it, and we see it, and we notice it in them, and we may not quite know how to explain it, but they have it. And we think that we might like it too. And this book reminds me, you know, that there are people in our church or any church for that matter, and they see themselves as Christ followers. And there's an enthusiasm of sorts that they see in others and they crave it. And you see someone else and you hunger for it. You wonder what they have and why they have it and why they act the way that they do. And maybe even wonder to yourself sometimes, I'd like that. You know, could I have it? I mean, for some of you here today, you might even love or or like being a part of Genesis, but when it comes to the it factor in your life, that's really understanding and embracing the good news and passing from death to life and, and hope and enthusiasm in your life and a willingness to share with others. The truth is that some see this in others and they wonder why they don't feel the exact same way. You know, we know others have it, but you wonder why you don't but maybe you want it. It's kind of like the four guys in the camp. I mean, imagine three of them, you know, devouring this food, but one stands off to the side wondering what the big deal is all about. I wonder how many of you sort of feel the same way from time to time, that you you see the celebrating and you see the excitement here and you see what's happening in others' lives and you just can't help but stand around the edge once in a while and think, why don't I have that? You know, what's missing in me? Well, John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said this. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, with these words, Jesus is saying, I am more than enough. I I am more than enough. I am all you need. And you can waste your life filling up, searching for significance in things like money or career goals or or in the cults. You know, whatever you want to label it, whatever you want to call it, but nothing will come as close to filling you and filling your life with significance and purpose like I can. You know, we throw the word believe a lot around uh, here, around church, and uh, probably misuse or misrepresent the word more than we realize. You know, believing in Jesus is more than just simply sorting through the facts. 
It's more than a, than a mind thing. It's more than a, I got my ticket to heaven. And so that's all that really matters. You know, I, I think God, what God wants us to see, I think what Jesus wants to see is that it's a heart matter. It's, it's committing. It's centering your life on everything that's focused on Christ. You know, as his word commands. I mean, we, we, make so, we make Christianity out so many times to be this Jesus following me around so that it's convenient. But Jesus never asked if he could follow us. He only commanded that we follow him. And some of you have heard and you've responded to the message of Jesus with your, with your own heart and you believe it to be the truth, but it's like you won't claim it. It's almost like you can't fully embrace it or understand what it means. And you're not allowing this good news to change your life. It, it, it's where you come to this place where you're able to realize and understand that you have passed from death to life and that you will never, ever be the same. Again, you are changed forever. And because his life, because of his life, because Jesus gave his life for you, why wouldn't you and I give our whole life to him? Why wouldn't we surrender everything that we have for Jesus to try, to try and start living as he lived, to love as he loved? You know, you know the good news in your life and you want this for others too. Some of you need it and you know it. And my question is, why not take it? I mean, what's holding you back from fully claiming this for your own life, to make the changes, to take the risk, to surrender and invite God to do an even greater work in your life? There's a good chance that some of you need to show up to the picnic, you know, with more than a picnic basket today, and you need to bring your swimsuit and you need to get baptized. And as Josh mentioned earlier, we'll have a group of people out there, and if, if maybe you didn't make that decision, but you know you were supposed to, we'd love to baptize you this afternoon, so bring your suit. Uh, there's a third group. It's the love it and share it group. And I think we've got a bunch of people around Genesis Church that fall into this group right here, that they love it. They're understanding more and more every day what Jesus has done for them, and they can't wait to share it with others. And I just want you to know that this is my prayer for myself. This is my prayer for you. This is our prayer, my prayer for this church, that you love Jesus, you love the good news, and you're motivated to share it with everyone you can. You know, I was reading about a church the other day that recently launched what they're calling a 67-20 campaign in their church. And with this campaign, they're reminding their church that 67% of people living in the world today do not know and understand the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And this stat bothers them. And it's a permanent reminder in their church so that they are continuously bothered by it. And so they are working hard to help people find their way back to God. And not just with programs, but it's every person understanding that I have a role, I have a part to play in helping people find their way back to God. Now the 20, the 20 represents the 20% of people living in this world today in absolute poverty. And so this church is about sharing Christ's love with words, but they're also about coming alongside as many of the 20% of this world as possible, showing their love with action, showing the love of Christ with actions, acts of compassion. You know, as I mentioned at the top of my message, we've got two things that we're focusing on this month as we go through this I Heart series. And, and as I was reflecting on this message this morning, I, I guess it has everything to do, these two things have everything to do with the numbers 67 and 20. We're focusing on two things here too. The first is that there are people far from God living all around this church, in your neighborhood, at your office, in your school right now. And we want to have great concern for that. We want that stat to bother us, to motivate us in our work and in our mission as, as a church. You know, we're like those four guys living in the Aramean camp. We've got some great news and we've got something that we need to do about it. And so again, we're going to talk about what that looks like next week. We're going to talk about some, taking some practical steps about, you know, what it means to share your faith, to, to understand who your neighbor is or your coworker is, people far from God. And then I'm really excited because in two weeks, we've got a guest speaker that's going to be here, a guy by the name of Kim Hammond. 
Uh, He's a pastor at Community Christian Church in Chicago, and he's going to come and tell some amazing stories about what he and his wife and his family are doing as they have intentionally moved into a neighborhood with with the passion of sharing Jesus with others. And he's going to share stories about how they're motivating people at Community Christian to do the same, to identify the people that they're living with in their own story and to share that story and, and to share their gifts and to share that passion for helping people find their way back to God with others. And, and so I look forward to sharing that, um, to sharing that with you. And, and so a lot of what we're emphasizing with this I Heart series has to do with the 67%. But the second thing we're emphasizing this month has a lot to do with the 20% too. You know, the 20% living in poverty. I mean, how can we come alongside people living around us right now, people living in need, And so we want to serve others that are less fortunate right now, and we've come up with a number of ways to do that. If if you've got a worship program, um, you can open it up to the middle and find that under the contribute category, uh, we've listed uh, several different opportunities for you to serve with your friends, uh, to serve with your family over the course of the next few weeks here at Genesis. Uh, The first is that next Sunday, we're partnering with Kids Against Hunger, and our goal is to pack 20,000 bags of food right here in this building. And it's going to be happening all morning long from 8.30 until 1 o'clock in the afternoon as we pack these bags of food. And what we're going to invite you to do is that when you're finished with the service, go help pack for a while or or come early and and pack for a while. Our students and our kids are going to be involved with this. And these food packs, and they're really pretty cool. I'll show you one next week. They're going to stay here locally and go into many of our food pantries, but they're also going to go to places like Haiti too. And this is an opportunity that we have to serve others, to love others. The other is faith, hope, and love. If you've been around the Noblesville community for a few years. You know about Faith, Hope, and Love. It's churches working together uh, to support uh, families here in need right here in this community. And and we've set aside uh, July 24th through 29th, specifically Wednesday, July 27th is kind of a Genesis church day. If that's something that you'd like to do, all you got to do is show up at the fairgrounds at 830 in the morning, bring a sack lunch. You can come with your kids. Uh, There are a bunch of different projects that you can can get involved with. Uh, There's a Habitat for Humanity build coming up on on Saturday, July the 23rd. Uh, You can sign up to be a part of that to help build a house. I believe it's in Fortville. Uh, We're going to be doing backpacks for students again. And so in a few weeks, we're going to hand out backpacks and ask you to fill them. And then we're going to get them to kids in need right here in this community. Uh, We've got a team of people going to Haiti at the very end of this month. And there are supplies that we're going to be gathering, collecting to send with them. Again, you can read about all of these. Maybe there's something that you need to come up with on your own. But uh, we want to love it and we want to share it with others. And we want to do that through serving. Now, why do this? Why go to the trouble? Jesus told us to. Uh, This idea of sharing your faith and sharing the love with Christ with others is not optional. We've been commanded by God. We've been called by God to be salt and light, the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And it's our mission as a church, helping people find their way back to God. If you're going to call Genesis Church your church, I'm going to ask you to prove it to prove it by the way that you live your life. And I want to be, you know, the pastor that's willing to say it from the stage and to live it out in my life too. And I want to be able to share those stories, how I'm doing. I mean, the stakes are high. These times are urgent. Jesus is coming back. And I just think it's really important that you and I develop this sense of greater urgency so that we might share our faith with others. You know, there was a Mercedes-Benz commercial that came out a few years ago, and uh, the scene is a, a crash test scene where a, a Mercedes-Benz is being slammed up against the wall, and, and as they zoom in in slow motion, uh, you see that the crash test dummy, uh, you know, flies forward, but, but the scientists come out on the scene, and, and they're able to verify that if this crash test dummy were a human, uh, he would walk away from the crash 
almost totally unhurt. And, and in the commercial, Mercedes talks about this patented safety cage technology that they've developed. But, but it's interesting as they explain that they determined that they weren't going to keep this news to themselves because it was way too important. And so they shared it with others, even with their own competitors. And, and the best part is the last line when the announcer comes across and says, you know, why share it? He says, because some things in life are way too important not to share. You know, the good news, this passing from death to life, this forgiveness, this grace, this mercy, eternal life, it's way too important not to share. I want to look at one verse with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, before we close. Here's what Paul writes. He's talking about what it means to go out and to share your faith and life with others. He says, if we are out of our mind, have you ever felt like you're out of your mind as a Christian? I have. You know, people have looked at me crazy, like, you give what? You've, you've done what? You're doing what with your time? You're going to Haiti? He says, if we are out of our mind, well, then it's for the sake of God. But if we are in our right mind, it is for you. It's for lost people. For Christ's love compels us. That's the motivation. The question I want to ask you this morning is, what's the motivation for the way that you're living your life right now? Do you really understand what Jesus Christ has done for you? Does his love compel you to go and share your love, your life, your hope with others to help people find their way back to God? You know, God is making his appeal for you. Let's do this before we close. Um, It may seem a little silly, but I want to do this. Take your index finger. All right, for just a moment, take your index finger. Um, Put it up to your temple. Put it up to your forehead. I'm going to ask you over the next few weeks to pray this prayer. God, change my mind on this. Uh, If sharing your faith, sharing your life with others is difficult, if it's challenging for you to pray to God, God, would you change my mind on this matter? Now take your index finger and place it on your hand and say, God, here's what I want you to do. God, will you you show me the actions that I can take? Will you show me what I can do? Will you show the people around me the practical ways that I can share my love and my faith with other people? But the last thing is this. Will you take your index finger and place it on your heart? I'm going to challenge you to pray this prayer. God, would you give me a heart like yours? Would you allow me to see things the way that you see them, to see lost people the way that you do? Would you change my heart and change my church forever? You know, I love the story of the four guys with leprosy. Look how it ends. And then we'll close. Second Kings 7, 9, and 11. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Verse 10. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the camp, and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and tents that are left just as they were. Verse 11. The gatekeeper shouted the news. And it was reported within the palace. Can you imagine what we could do, what we could accomplish as Christ followers and as a church if every single one of us understood the good news and what Jesus Christ has done in our life and were passionate, unending in sharing that message with others? Let's pray.